You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Tonight, we're beginning a brand new series called A Better Playlist. A Better Playlist. The subtitle of our series for the next three weeks is this, Letting the Gospel Change What's in Our Heads and Our Headphones. And I want to be really clear about what is the purpose of this series. The purpose of this series is this, to help all of us think biblically, think theologically, think gospelly about the media that we are consuming. And so whether it's movies we're watching, whether it's songs we're listening to, whether it's secular or Christian, whether it's worship music or not, the goal of this entire series is to help us begin to think about what we are consuming, the media we are consuming, through the lens of the gospel. Because what you're influenced by will shape your decisions. When I was in the uh, eighth grade My whole world was skateboarding. That's all I cared about. That's all I thought about was skateboarding. That's it. And I remember uh, I I was skateboarding at our local college, which is down the street from our house. And uh, I was doing some tricks with my friends on these stairs. And then all of a sudden, a police car pulled up. And when the police car pulled up, he turned on his lights and he got on his megaphone. He said, stop skating, stop skating. We like froze. We were freaked out. And then he walked over to us and he said, you guys know you're not supposed to be skating here. I'm going to write you a citation. And so me and my friends are freaking out, and, and, and he said, I need to get some information from you. And so he starts asking me questions, and I start answering because I was really nervous. But then all of a sudden, because I was an eighth grader, and I thought I was super cool, and I thought I was smarter than him, I started to lie about some of the information, okay? So I first started to tell him the truth about myself, but then he started to ask questions. I was like, dude, I'm going to throw this guy off. I'm just going to lie. I'm going to tell him all kinds of made-up things, Right? So after that, I leave, and I'm thinking I'm so cool. I mean, I just felt so cool that I had lied to this police officer, that I had tricked him. So we're we're skating back to my house, and as I'm going down my street, as I'm walking up my driveway to walk inside my house, I look behind me, and the police officer, the police car that had busted me is cruising down the street. Now, you're all looking at me right now, you're like, Eric, you're buff, you could handle prison. Back then I couldn't, okay? Back then it was different. I wasn't ripped like I am now, you know? So, so like, I couldn't handle it as well as I could now. But so, so I, I'm freaking out because I'm seeing this cop car driving down the street. And all of a sudden I thought it was so cool. Before I thought it was so cool, now I'm freaking out. And so I run inside my house and I remember I told my mom, I said, mom, 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 tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm not here. And she's like, who are you talking? What, what are you talking about? I ran into the bathroom and I hid. And, I, and I, I wasn't even a follower of Jesus, but I was like, Jesus, like, I know I've done a bunch of bad stuff, but like, maybe you should come back right now because this is not going to end well. And so I, I, I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden I hear the stomping of the police officer's boots walking into our entryway. And I hear him knock on the front door. And my mom answers it. And she goes, yes, officer. And he goes, can I please speak with Eric Holmstrom? And you guys, I freaked out. Like I I just, I was in the bathroom and I'm like, I want to die right now. This is not going well. 
So I walked out, and my mom came and got me, and she's like, um, Eric, there's a police officer here for you. And so I walk out, and, and, and I, I see him, and I go, hi, hi officer. Right? Like my voice is cracking, like that big tough guy I thought I was. I was not that tough guy. I said, hi, officer. And he said, Eric, do you know that you lied to me about some of your information? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. And he's like, oh, really? I have the whole thing recorded. Now, whether he did, I don't know. But I was losing my mind. He said, you know what? I could take you to juvenile hall right now. And I thought, I'm not going to do well there. That's not a place for me. That is not a safe place for me. And he freaked me out. But here's the thing. I made all kinds of stupid decisions like that because of what was influencing me. Because of the friends that I was hanging out with. Because of the ways that I was living. Because of the influences that were coming into me on a regular basis. They were shaping my decisions. And whether you want to admit it or not, or whether you recognize it or not, the things, the media that you are consuming is influencing you, and it's important to talk about because it is shaping your decisions. So here's our big idea for tonight. As followers of Jesus, we should filter everything we experience and everything we are thinking of doing, listening to, or watching through the lens of the gospel. In other words... How will this, listening to this, watching this, participating in this, how will this impact my relationship with Jesus? And secondly, what Christian example will this set for others? This is an incredibly important uh, recognition for us. To analyze the things that we're doing, the things we're participating in, that we're listening to, that we're experiencing through the lens of the gospel. So here's what we're going to do tonight. And I take full ownership for this. I know I'm about to say this, and half of you are going to instantly lose respect for me. Okay, half of you are going to be like, I know he was a loser. Now I really know he's a loser. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm admitting it. I'm taking full ownership of this. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We together are going to listen to Taylor Swift's song, Antihero. Okay? Now, I, thank you, my Swifties. I knew some of you were here tonight. Thanks be to God. And, you, and I know some of you are haters and Jesus is judging you. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, here's what we're going to do. But here, here's why, here's why. We're going to listen to this song together and then we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what are the truths and lies in these lyrics. We're going to talk about what can we affirm and what can we reject from this message. But here's why. There, there's, a, there's a, a deeper, important thing that we're doing here. Whether you like Taylor Swift's antihero or not, here, here's what I hope you walk away with. I hope you walk away with a better understanding of what you should be doing with songs, movies, things that you are consuming. That, that some of us, we just like blindly, without even thinking about it, do things, listen to things, watch things, and we forget that it is shaping us. And so my hope is tonight, as we have a little bit of fun, as we listen to this song, as we look at what scripture has to say, that you would be better equipped to take that worship song or that secular song or that new Netflix show or that movie and to analyze it through the lens of the gospel and ask yourself, what is the message here and does it sync up with the gospel? And so without further ado, this is actually my second time using a Taylor Swift song. Like 15 years ago, one of my first sermons, I used Love Story. Anybody remember Love Story? 
love that song. Anyway, um, this is my second time for T-Swift. But, and I tagged her today. She didn't write back. I was like, what the? Dude. I know. I, know, I don't know. She's busy, I guess. Anyway, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to this song together, and then we're going to talk about it. So let's watch this together. That was so beautiful. That's so powerful. <laughs> let's talk about this for a second. So this is a really, really popular, well-known song. Whether you don't like it or not, we've heard it. Many of us have heard it before. I want to talk about three ideas in this song. And I want to look at where Scripture speaks to those ideas. Our first big idea is this. Taylor Swift's anti-hero challenges us to confess our sin. Challenges us to confess our sin. The chorus goes like this. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. You know what I really respect about this song? Taylor's not blaming anyone else. Taylor's acknowledging that there's some brokenness in her. That whereas it might be easy and it comes very natural to us to blame other people for the issues that are going on in our lives, that there's literally an example set here in this song to own up to our part in it. And Christians, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, this is core to our faith. That, that sin is any time we dethrone God. It's any time we believe we know better than God. It's any time that we say, okay, God, you call us to this. You call this good. You call this evil. I'm going to choose to do my own thing irregardless of your word. It's any time we miss the mark, his perfect standard for us. And sin separates us from God. But the scriptures call us to do two things with our sin. The first one is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he, talking about Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Because what I see here, and you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep saying it over and over again, is this. What I see here is something I don't see anywhere else in culture. I don't see this in any other religion. And it's this. If we will bring the worst of ourselves to Jesus, he will bring the very best of himself to us. That if I'll give Jesus the worst of me, he gives me the best of himself. Did you know that's available to all of you? We could get so good at trying to hide our sin or pretend it doesn't exist. But Jesus says, if you'll just give it to me, if you'll just confess it, if you'll just own it, if you'll just say, it's me, hi, I'm the problem. I've got sin in me. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful in your life. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to abandon you. He says, I'm going to be just. I'm going to take care of it. I will forgive you, and then I will commit to purifying you, to changing you. But this is not the only thing that Scripture says to do with our sin. That first we confess our sins to God, but then Scripture says we've got to do something else with our sin. James, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins 
to each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this is where our Catholic brothers and sisters, they got it right until they institutionalized it. You see, within the Catholic, within the Catholic faith, There's a high priority on confessing your sins, but to a priest that doesn't know you, that isn't in relationship with you, that isn't holding you accountable, and then Catholics will go beyond that and say it actually is a part of you being forgiven. We know that Scripture says if we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. What The problem was when they institutionalized it, they took away the relational component of it. That God's design was always from the very beginning that we would confess our sins to each other, to the people that we are doing life with, to the people that we're in close relationship with, to the other Christians that we trust in our lives. I've got a friend of mine named Rob who, um, every once in a while, Rob and I, once kind of the kids go to bed and, and it's, it's nighttime, we'll, we'll meet at a local kind of walkway and we'll just walk together and we confess our sins to each other. I know you're like, that sounds awesome. It's great. We literally walk together and confess the stuff going on in our heart. We confess the things we don't want anyone else to know about. We confess the thoughts we're thinking, the things we're doing, the the words that we've said. We confess those to each other, and then we pray for each other. And when we do that, I'm telling you, I come home feeling like a different person. You see, we confess our sins to God to be forgiven, to be made right with God. We confess our sins to each other to have accountability. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you got real bold and said, hey God, it's me, I'm the problem. I've got sin in my life. Here's what I'm struggling with, God. And then when was the last time you confessed that to someone else? When was the last time someone in your life group heard you share, hey, you know what? Here's what I've been struggling with. Here's an ugly part of me. I don't want other people to know, but I need your help holding me accountable to. Number two, Taylor Swift's anti-hero shows us the importance of Christian community, the importance of Christian community. She says, I have this thing where I get older but never wiser. Midnights become my afternoons. When my depression works the graveyard shift, all the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis, waking up and screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming. When I hear those words, I go, oh, where is her community? Where is the group of Christians around her, helping her and serving? And I ask that about myself. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Implicit in this is in order for us to become sharpened, in order for us to become better, in order for us to become more like Christ, in order for us to grow, it requires other people. You can't do a relationship with God on your own. It's not a solo sport. That it's a team endeavor as the family of God. So if you want to become sharper, if you want to grow, I mean, if if you take this analogy, if you're trying to sharpen a knife, you need something to sharpen it against. You see, we need Christian community. Proverbs 27 verse 6, just a few verses earlier, says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
what Solomon is saying here is you need friends around you who aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear, but are going to tell you what you need to hear. Do you have friendships like that? Are you leaning into your life group that could be that for you? And it's important because look at what James says. If we go back to James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James says it's incredibly important that you be the kind of person that if you see a friend of yours who's wandering in their faith, who's not coming to HSM as much, who's not reading their Bible as much, who's beginning to believe things outside of what God's word teaches, that it is so important that you come alongside them. And James would even say that that that's a part of helping to save them from destruction because here's the truth. False beliefs turn into destructive ways of living. So this is why it's so important to analyze and to think through the songs that we're listening to, the things we're watching, the influences that are around us because false beliefs are not just false beliefs. False beliefs turn into destructive ways of living. And students, I just gotta tell you, it is not loving It is not loving to watch someone that you care about turning away from God and to not do anything about it. To not intervene in any way to help, to love them, to correct them, to remind them of God's truth. Which is why I gotta ask you a question. It's a question I'm wrestling with too. This is for all of us. Are you avoiding saying a hard but important truth to someone because you're afraid of being blocked or canceled in their lives? Are you holding back from a friend of yours that you know is wandering away? Are you holding back from having that tough, hard conversation with them because you're afraid they're gonna block you, because you're afraid they're gonna judge you, because you're afraid that they're gonna think this or that about you, that they're gonna cancel you from their life? Here's the deal. When I was going through that season of coming out of smoking a lot of weed and drinking a lot, when I was in eighth grade transitioning into high school, it was my Christian friends around me who were bold enough to say true hard things to me, who were courageous enough, who who were willing to meet me where I was at but not leave me there. They were like what James is talking about here. And then lastly, our last big idea, Taylor Swift's anti-hero leaves us hopeless and in need of a savior. Leaves us hopeless and in need of a savior. The last verse says, I have this dream. My daughter-in-law kills me for the money. She thinks I left them in the will. The family gathers around and reads it. Then someone screams out, she's laughing up at us from hell. The song ultimately leaves us hopeless with no sense of redemption or hope or something to grasp onto. And apart from Jesus, that's where we all are. 
Look at Paul. He kind of describes this tension in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 to 25. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if you do, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? And that right there is where Taylor Swift's song ends. It ends with that exclamation. Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? But thanks be to God that that's not where Romans 7 ends. That Romans 7 has one more verse, verse 25, and it says this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul describes this confusion and hopelessness that we all face as humans because of our own sin and flesh. He describes how we all think that no one would ever want me if they really knew what was going on inside of me. But thanks be to God for the gospel. Thanks be to God for verse 25. Because you know what the truth is? God knows exactly what's going on inside of you. In fact, God knows what's going on inside of you better than you know what's going on inside of you. And he still chooses you. And he still loves you. And he still came to earth, died a criminal's death on a cross, and rose from the dead to pay you and I's penalty so that we could be in relationship with him. That's the hope that's missing It's that God has chosen us. When my wife Sarah and I were um, leading at a different church, we were high school pastors at a different church, and um, we were taking our students up to camp one summer. And uh, she was leading the girls, and I was leading the guys. And about halfway through the camp, uh, the guys that I was leading in our cabin, we woke up one morning and said, hey, guys, what if we pray all day and ask God to show us that he loves us? Like we know it theologically, we've read it in the Bible, we know he loves us. What if we just say, hey God, could you just show us today that you love us? We want to have eyes to see you. And so I remember going all throughout the day and there was the worship songs and there were the messages and there were the discussions throughout the day and and they were all awesome and great, but I was still kind of looking for that moment like, God, when are you going to show me that you love me, that you really love me? And after dinner, I remember Sarah and I hadn't really seen each other at all that day. Um, Sarah came up to me and she gave me something that I still keep in my Bible over 10 years ago. She said, Eric, I, I, I painted you something. And then she gave me this and we have it up on the screen. And it says, I'll always pick you. She handed this to me. And you guys, I remember looking at it and being like, are you blind? Like, look at you and look at me. Why do you always you pick me? Are you serious? Like, I was, it, it just meant so much. And then it became so much deeper and so much more significant because I felt like God was saying, 
Hey, Eric, before Sarah picked you, I picked you. I chose you before Sarah chose you. I knew you before Sarah knew you. I did for you what Sarah could never do for you. I died on a cross, rose from the dead, and I've given you eternal life, things Sarah could never do for you. My students, he's done the same for you. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you know that tonight? Maybe that's something you need to talk about in your life group. Because as long as songs like Taylor Swift or shows you're watching on Netflix or experiences you're having are the primary things defining and shaping your life, you'll never fully experience the power of having your life transformed by the God who died and rose for you. But in order to experience that, you've got to make a decision that Jesus is your so what I want you to do now is we're going we're gonna to pray. And after we pray, I want you to head into your life groups and to discuss some of what we're talking about tonight. And then you got to be back next week. We're going to continue this series. Track two is next week. I'm not going to tell you what song it is, but track two is next week. Make sure you're here. Invite your friends. Bring them with you. Let me go ahead and pray for us. And then um, if, you don't, if you're new tonight, brand new tonight, come up afterwards. Uh, we have a life group for you. We'll get you plugged in. Otherwise, head straight to your life groups. And we hope you guys have a great conversation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a night where we could have some fun, where we could listen to a song that's really popular in our culture right now, but that we could analyze it through your timeless truths, through the truest story in all the history of the world, and it's that you, God, created the world. You came for us, you died for us, you rose from the dead, and your spirit lives inside of everyone who confesses you as Lord. God, I thank you that tonight we were challenged to confess our sin, that we were reminded of the importance of Christian community, and that we we realized again that everything apart from you leaves us ultimately hopeless and in need of a savior, but you and in you is everything that we need. And so God, we trust you. I pray you'd bless the life group conversations tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.